Welcome to the Business Case for Women's Sports, where we explore every corner of the women's sports industry, from the field to the front office. I'm Caroline Fitzgerald, and I'm here to prove that it's good business to be in the business of women's sports. So let's get after it. Our guest today is Sophie Goldschmidt, the current president and CEO of U.S. Ski and Snowboard. In her career, Sophie has held executive positions across the sports industry, most recently leaving her role as CEO of the World Surf League. Welcome to the show, Sophie. Thank you. Delighted to be here today. Well, it's such an honor to have you come on the show because I can only describe your career as somewhat of a dream career for people that are looking to work in the industry. So I'd love to start there today if we can and would love to hear more about your professional journey so far. Thank you. Well, likewise, it's an honor for me to be uh, chatting to you and I love the podcast. I love the focus you're bringing to the women's sports business. It's it's much needed. We've come a long way, but we've got even further to go. So uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation today. And yeah, as I look back on my career so far, um, it's with a lot of gratitude um, and thanks. I've been incredibly fortunate to have some of the roles that I had, especially early on in my career. Quite frankly, I was given responsibility I probably hadn't quite earned yet, but I think maybe people saw sort of my work ethic and passion and um, just kind of commitment to the roles that I had. And I was also very lucky to work for some great leaders who were very progressive in general, but especially around giving female executives and female athletes kind of more of a platform and more opportunity, kind of paying it forward almost, um, if you like. Um, I mean, a couple that come to mind would be Larry Scott, who was the CEO of the WTA tour. When I was there, we started about the same time. And He really um, transformed the WTA in many very positive ways. And it was a great place to sort of land for my second role. Um, And then also um, uh, the former commissioner of the NBA, David Stern, um, was someone that I had, you know, an amazing opportunity to work quite closely with and and get to know well. Um, Adam Silver was the deputy commissioner um, then has obviously gone on to achieve fantastic things already in his quite short tenure leading the NBA. So just a couple of folks that I feel deserve um, a lot of credit and thanks. But uh, yeah, you can probably tell from my accent, I grew up across the pond. In fact, I'm back in the UK at the moment just for a few days, Um, but I came to college in the States. So that's initially how I got to the US Um, after college or actually during college when I was doing my master's I was fortunate to get an internship at um, Adidas um, uh, which was a great place to sort of land just to begin to understand what sports marketing was all about and what the sports business could look like um, for me and where it was moving Um, and while I was there a job opened up so that was my first job out of college which uh, again was was uh, a fantastic opportunity Um, I learned a lot about both the product side, um, working in sports marketing, um, was responsible for signing various athletes, um, working with various events, working with all the different sort of departments uh, that you have a a big brand like um, Adidas. Um, From there, I went to work for the WTA. So you could sort of see a bit of a theme 
Um, and tennis was my passion growing up. That's actually what brought me to college in the States. So working for the WTA was kind of a dream job. And I was there, as I mentioned, a really transformational time under, under Larry. It was when um, we got equal prize money um, at a lot of the events and the Grand Slams. We signed a big deal with Sony Ericsson that from a financial perspective kind of changed our world and were able to be much more creative with marketing and it was also at a time when some of the greatest athletes, you know, ever were coming through. Um, Serena and Venus won their first Grand Slam titles was when I was there. Martina Hingis had been very dominant. Maria Sharapova was coming um, through. But you still had Kleisters and Henin and Moresmo and Davenport and Capriati. So it was, it was really, um, yeah, a very cool experience. Um, from there, I went to work for the NBA. Um, worked initially in sort of the business development partnership side and then moved more into a management role. And I was GM and SVP um, for Europe, Middle East and, and Africa. Um, and uh, yeah, just to deal with sort of the next level of professionalism and resources was a real eye opener as to how you could do things differently and ultimately what could be achieved if you sort of thought even bigger um, I then worked in rugby. I moved back to the UK and, and worked for the RFU, which is the governing body for rugby in, in England. And um, it was leading up to the 2015 Rugby World Cup, which was a pretty um, amazing time for the sport in, in England and leading up to a home event like that. Um, I then went to the agency side and worked for CSM as, as Group MD. Um, and uh, from there, I then came back to the States to uh, run the World Surf League, which moved me from London to L.A. Um, about five years ago. Um, and I stepped down from, from that in uh, 2020 um, and then joined um, the U.S. Ski and Snowboard organization last November. So, um, yeah, so it's been uh, quite a journey. Um, some amazing experiences. Um, feel very fortunate and, uh, yeah, very, very lucky. Wow, what an incredible career journey you've had. I'm curious because you started in tennis. You said your passion originally lied in tennis, but your journey has been kind of this winding road throughout the industry. So what attracted you to those other positions throughout the sports world and then ultimately landed you in this position in uh, ski and snowboarding? Yeah, no, it's a great question. And Tennis was definitely my obsession and I was pretty obsessed growing up from sort of my early teens. That was, you know, what I dreamed of doing and, and winning big titles and, you know, committed a huge amount of time to that. But having said that, I was always a big sports fan, you know, back home, soccer or football, as we would call it, you know, a very big rugby was big cricket. I always, you know, had interest in U.S. sports, too. I remember growing up sort of watching the NFL on Sundays. So I always had sort of a passion for all sports and that competitiveness and real, a real appreciation for top athletic performance and just sort of consistently delivering. Um, so for me, you know, while I'm pretty type A and sort of plan most aspects of my life, um, in an incredibly detailed way. Actually, when it's come to my career, I haven't. I mean, if I if you ask me now what my next job might be, I have no idea. I hope I will be at USG and Snowboard for a long time. There's a lot of opportunity and a lot of things that I think collectively we can improve and, and change. Um, but I've tended to move on um, either when I've 
you know, been given an opportunity that's just sort of too good and interesting to turn down and or I've sort of maxed out and I felt like I wasn't going to keep learning at the same rate. And maybe I kind of plateaued and kind of got uh, as much as I could out of a role at that stage. Um, and there wasn't either an opportunity to take on more responsibility or it was just sort of the natural sort of course of time. Um, so I'm also someone I, I like to be challenged. I like to kind of be out of my comfort zone. Early on, I found that quite scary. But now um, that kind of slightly anxious feeling and the adrenaline um, sort of pumping when you are in unfamiliar situations and having to learn and just sort of experience new things is something um, I really relish to a certain extent. Look, you want to be able to deliver and make sure you're an hopefully making an impact day in, day out, but actually really pushing yourself in different ways, I, I find very rewarding. So that's kind of why I've tended to move on and um, and always for sports where I've had sort of a real passion. Um, I've had a few board roles over the years too. So I was on the board of the PGA European Tour, which I was going through quite an interesting time at the moment and, and other areas that I'm passionate about. In fact, one of the the organizations that I help advise at the moment, I'm on the advisory board, is the Women's Sports Network, which is a really interesting new platform, probably quite relevant for this, this organization. So, yeah, I think that sort of curiosity has sort of opened doors and, you know, maybe not having a very specific career plan has made me more open-minded to different things. If I kind of knew what my next role was, then maybe I would have missed out on some of these um, jobs that, that have opened up along the way. That's fascinating. So now you're in this role as president and CEO of US Ski and Snowboard. So you said you're someone that likes a challenge. I imagine you have some big goals for the organization. What are you trying to accomplish there with the team? Yeah, so it's, well, first of all, um, a learning curve. Um, I've never worked in snow sports before, have followed the various sports as a fan and, and I love to ski um, but it's definitely been a sort of immersion and just having a lot of different conversations both with internal stakeholders and, and externally others that care about the sport always very focused on getting as broad a range of perspective as possible when you're coming into a new role um, because I think often the same things have happened just because that's been how it's been sort of done but taking a step back and really sort of looking at the opportunity holistically has been really key. And as I've gone through that process, look, it's only been sort of eight, nine months. So I've still got a lot to learn. But, you know, there are a few key strategic priorities that um, have become quite clear to me. So um, at the moment, um, I think there's an opportunity to really raise our level of performance and sort of operational excellence just to further bring a level of sort of professionalism and accountability to the organization, which is in a great place in many areas, which is a good position to be in. But we know in competitive sport, both sort of on the performance athletic side and the business side, it's only getting more competitive. And if you're not aggressively moving forward and sort of enhancing your ambition, then you're moving backwards. So um, I think just bringing that mindset, being um, more open to thinking outside of the box, looking at other sectors and, and industries, I think there's an opportunity to do um, more of that. Um, so, yeah, so that's that's a real focus for, for me over the next sort of 12 to 24 months. Um, second sort of priority is growing the visibility of our sports. We have some of the most amazing athletes on the planet um, competing in our sports and definitely in the US. And I don't feel they're quite as recognized as they might be. 
Um, and they deserve to be better known. And for the success of our organization, that's a really important driver. It will drive more fan engagement, which drives more commercial interest, which means we can then invest back into the pipeline and developing the next generation of talent. So growing the visibility um, of our sports is incredibly um, important and something we're really focused on doing. And that's through our social media channels. We're in the midst of renegotiating renegotiating our broadcast deals, um, other different commercial partnerships, um, getting better at storytelling um, and how we kind of tell um, the story of these amazing feats and athletes that we're we're working with. Um, And then the third sort of priority is really something that is needed to drive both of these areas, and that's um, driving more revenue, driving more commercial interest from you know the typical sort of commercial funding sources of sponsorship, licensing, broadcast media, other kind of content programming, um, and also um, by working even more closely with our foundation trustee boards. Um, we have an amazingly committed and supportive group of donors, um, which make a lot of what we do um, possible. Um, so we've got a few different sort of areas um, from a revenue perspective to focus on. But ultimately, the more revenue we can drive, the more we can invest back into our long-term success. And that will give us even more financial stability. So those are kind of the three areas that I'm really, really focused on in the short to medium term. That's great. That's a big job. But with all of your experience, you're absolutely cut out to tackle all three of those, those pillars. Sophie, at Goals, we are, of course, big believers that women's sports are the most exciting growth opportunity in the sports industry. So in some of your past roles, many of them, you've played a large part in innovation of organizations and globalization of sport. So can you talk a little bit about how that might be particularly beneficial to female athletes? both across the broader sports industry, but also specifically in skiing and snowboarding? Yeah, I mean, I think you probably can sense a bit of a theme for me is innovation, thinking out the box, being creative. Um, It's sort of the way I'm wired to a certain extent, but I also believe um, it's how you can really take some bigger steps forward in growing the profile of your athletes and and sports because of the competitive nature of it. And because we have so many distractions, unless you can really cut through, it's very hard to keep people engaged in a, in a meaningful way. And I think, you know, for women's sports to continue to sort of accelerate its growth, um, we, we need to continue to think, think that way. Um, As I mentioned right at the start, and I'm, the biggest believer and very positive about the momentum that's being built and what women's sports can achieve and where it's ultimately going to end up. Um, But we've got a long way to go. Um, So I think the more we can innovate in an efficient and effective way, not just for the sake of it, it's not change for the sake of change. It's got to be um, for sort of meaningful reasons. But sometimes you do have to take some risk. You don't always know what's going to land. And I think taking calculated risks um, is is important as well. And it's kind of finding that, that balance. Um, and the more global women's sports can become, the more these athletes can cut through across different regions and markets, um, I think just the more powerful it can, can be and sort of that snowball effect can really um, kick in. So um, I feel, you know, that's very much the case for, 
for snow sports. We oversee seven sports at our organization and some of them um, have athletes that are very well known and others um, they're relatively unknown. So we're sort of starting at a different place across all of our sports, but that's kind of the opportunity. That's why I took this role or one of the big reasons I took this role, because I see a lot of upside in that, in that area. Um, and again, because I've had these various roles, I've worked for different organizations, all slightly different, all have slightly different, you know, missions, if you will, and business models. Um, but I think taking that experience, taking that kind of mix that I've seen, what's worked, what hasn't worked, you know, it's kind of reassuring when you're in a new situation, but it's kind of similar to what I've seen before, not always, but especially on the business side, you know, I've had an opportunity to experience, you know, doing things the right way, the wrong way and everything in between. So I think that sort of gives me me confidence and hopefully can help us get further, um, farther. Um, but I'm, yeah, really progressed of some of the decisions we made in prior roles and um, the progress that, that we've seen. Um, so I'm really hoping that I can translate this into snow sports and, and make a, a lasting impact. Um, and I've got an amazing team to help help me do that. Definitely. You have talked a lot about innovation. That's definitely a theme that is coming up again and again in this conversation. But Sophie, you're also a person that has a reputation for execution and getting things done. So as the CEO of the WSL, you led the implementation of equal prize money for men and women, which is incredible. So I'd love to hear more about that because that is huge. Yeah, I definitely, I think that goes maybe back to the type A personality. I do get a lot of satisfaction from seeing really measurable success kind of come to fruition. And, and again, achieving that as a team, certainly something I've learned during my career, that it's a lot more rewarding to achieve things collectively than just sort of being an island on your own. Look, sometimes as the leader of the organization, you know, the buck stops with you and you have to put your neck out and, and make tough um, or easy decisions. Um, but the more that you can engage, you know, your leadership team or the broader sort of staff employee community, kind of the better, you know, the power of what you can achieve when everyone's really believing in a vision and on the same page, rowing the same way in the boat, whatever analogy um, you use. It's amazing how things can change very, very quickly. And I've seen that now repeatedly in my career. And at the World Surf League, I was um, really fortunate. We had an amazing ownership um, group um, who really backed equal prize money. They were willing to kind of pay it forward and take a bit of a leap of faith. Look, what we did there wouldn't necessarily be sustainable in, in other sports. We had a private ownership group and we felt it would again cut through. It was the right thing to do because in surfing, women had been held back for decades. Um, but the acceleration of their progress on the wave um, and now with a lot of the events for men and women taking place at the same location, there were just sort of more and more reasons stacking up as to why it was the right thing to do. But my timing was fortunate too. You know, lots of work had been done for decades before. We'd had, you know, pioneers that had been fighting for equal prize money and really going out and on a limb and, um, yeah, pushing the different decision makers. And ultimately, it sort of all came together at the right time. And yeah, I was incredibly proud of that decision. 
Um, but it was just one part of a holistic strategy. Equal prize money doesn't solve everything. And equal prize money without a sustainable economic model would mean some sports would go under and that doesn't do anyone any good. So I think it's very easy to say, oh, it needs to happen, but you, you do need to be able to back it up. And um, for me, in addition to equal prize money, it was about giving more young girls a chance to surf. So we created a program that encouraged that and gave more opportunities. It was about getting more content out there. So we really committed to showcase as much women's as men con male content across all of our different channels. We created some specific sort of marketing campaigns, um, again, just to sort of draw the attention um, to it. Um, we also added some events so that they had more opportunities. So it really was kind of multifaceted. And I think um, if you've got a long-term perspective, that's what needs to happen. Otherwise, these things just don't last or don't build in, in the right way. So um, that was kind of the, the view we took at WSL. And um, with snow sports, um, actually equal prize money has been in place for a while across most of the events. Um, FIS, which is the global governing body who we work very closely with, was progressive several years ago to implement that, um, which is great. Um, and now there's other areas that we need to kind of work on to, to sort of elevate and make sure um, that there is kind of a, a consistent balance across everything we're doing for the male and, and female side of our sports. Sophie, as you're talking, I am hearing very clearly that you are somebody that played sport. And it sounds like the way that you approach your professional career, your leadership style, a lot of it sounds like it comes from experience that you've drawn from being an athlete yourself. I'd love to hear you talk more about that, the connection between playing sports and now being a leader in the space. Yeah, it's interesting um, question. I mean, it playing sport very regularly growing up definitely taught me a lot. I think it gave me a lot of my work ethic. It gave me discipline. It gave me tenacity. It taught me how to deal with failure rather the, than just winning and certainly in business you have many more failures or it takes a lot longer to achieve certain things than one would ever ever want so I think some of those characteristics were embedded in me because sport was such a big part of my life from a very young age I think I've also been fortunate I mean this is the first role I'm in where I'm actually re responsible for the performance side normally I've been working for a league um, or a team or a a governing body that doesn't have the same oversight of the athletic side. So at US Ski and Snowboard, we oversee all of the training and competitive um, sort of travel and scheduling and operations for all of our kind of elite athletes. So it's uh, 180 athletes that, that we do that for. Um, and so everything that they're doing basically for 11 months of the year is our responsibility. They're coaching and training in the off season, pre-season, during the season. Um, and so I've loved that again, another big reason I took this role, my competitive juices are kind of flowing, not that don't worry, I'm not going to get involved in, you know, helping our athletes get down the mountain faster or jumping higher or doing the just superhuman things that they do. But I think I know what high performance environments looks like. And during my career, I've had the chance to work with some of the greatest athletes and teams in the world. Um, I mentioned some of the names when I was at the WTA, who I work very closely with, some of them I still keep in close contact with. Um, when I was at the NBA, I had the chance to work with some great 
um, athletes and teams. We brought a lot of them over to Europe um, to play. Um, when I was at Adidas, um, worked with a lot of top tennis players and, and soccer players, rugby, some of the greatest rugby players in the world, surfing the best surfers in the world. So I think those experiences, even though I wasn't directly responsible, I've observed, you know, and there are definitely traits and characteristics around excellence, um, how people go about their business and how they stay focused and um, how they think out the box, how they get those marginal gains, how they learn um, from different sectors and industries. So I think that combined with just my personal passion, um, hopefully it's going to be a really um, valuable kind of combination. Um, but yeah, you can probably sense it in my voice. You know, it, it's something that um, is authentic. It's an area I really care about. And uh, yeah, I think hopefully that that mix and experience um, will prove to be good for U.S. ski and snowboard as well. I have no doubt that it will be. We've arrived at our last few questions here on the podcast. So Sophie, one of the next big things on the horizon, I know for you are the Olympics. So 2026 is going to be here before we know it. As we approach that big worldwide event, uh, what are your plans specifically around continuing to elevate um, the sport for women? Yeah, so I, I would start off by saying, look, the Olympics is an amazing opportunity for snow sports. You know, for the US team, we are 65%-ish of the medals and athletes on Team USA. So it's a big responsibility and an opportunity, hopefully more than 65% of the medals if we do well over the next few years. But I would say our sports are so much more than just Olympic sports, which is different for some of the winter sports. You know, we have a very developed, um, an advanced kind of year round World Cup season, which in my mind sort of ultimately determines who are the best athletes. You know, the Olympics is a one-off event. And as we saw this year, you know, some athletes broke through in an amazing way and some, you know, struggled and didn't perform as we thought. But does that really define who's the best? Um, ultimately, I feel it's who is sitting at the top of the standings and winning at the end of sort of a six, seven month season. Um, and so for me, actually elevating those World Cup events and the World Championships that happen week in, week out from October through till April every single year, even in an Olympic year, is something that I'm keen to kind of highlight more because I think it's easier to get fans to engage and consume more often if they have that kind of regular opportunity to kind of tune in or, or show up in an event. So for me, actually, um, that regular season coverage is really, really important. Um, putting that aside, I think from a women's perspective, um, we're actually working on kind of refreshing and relaunching what our women's vertical looks like, um, kind of starting with actually the Killington World Cup, which is the most popular and the largest women's World Cup race in the world. Um, in this alpine world, it's a really big deal, and I'm determined to have it cut through more in the general sports world. Um, so we're going to be rebranding that and kind of repositioning that because it is the best of the best, and it's in our backyard. It's here in the Northeast, and it's an amazing event. You know, we get over 50,000 fans attending. Um, so that's sort of an example of something we're going to look to elevate. Um, we're also going to be doing more to showcase kind of the content and narrative and stories in snow sports, some of the athletes don't earn quite as much as they do in these other sports. So they often have, you know, second, third jobs, which actually makes them kind of more relatable, I think, and more real to some folks. So I think to get that kind of messaging out there um, is really important as well. 
Um, we've also got a big push. Look, on the women's side, whether it's Michaela Schifrin, Chloe Kim, Jesse Diggins, I mean, the list can go on. We've had so many amazing athletes over the years and have got a current crop that is, is pretty mind-blowing. Um, but from a coaching perspective, it's it's been quite tough to kind of build that pipeline of, you know, for young girls growing up to know that there's various different avenues for them. Of course, we want as many of them as possible to go into ski racing, cross-country racing, snowboarding, freestyle, free ski, jumping, etc. Um, but for them to know there are other avenues as well, for them to have sort of a lifelong career in snow sports, I think is really important too. And and it's quite hard in coaching at the moment. So we've got a big focus around um, getting more women into coaching and staying for longer. So, so there's various different sort of things that we're working on, um, as well as on the men's side. You know, we've got some amazing athletes on the men's side, a lot of success there as well. We're actually adding some new men's events this year, which we're really excited about. We've got a new World Cup event in Aspen, as well as um, in uh, Palisades, which is sort of Tahoe, basically. Um, so, so yeah, so there's a lot that's sort of within our, our control. Some of it we're going to impact for this season. Some of it may take a little bit longer. Um, but, yeah, very committed to, to growing in, in all of those areas. That's great. So when you move on from this role, and I know you're not thinking about it yet, but when the time comes for you to move on to your next role within the industry, what will you hope you have accomplished at U.S. Ski and Snowboard? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I probably haven't thought quite that far ahead. I would, I would, an ambition would be to take our our level of success and performance to a new level, to win more World Cup podiums, World Championships, and Olympic medals than we've won ever before. Um, so that would be the performance side. On the business side, I think it's to see a significant increase in our commercial revenue. Um, which will put us on an even more stable footing financially and will have allowed us, if I look back in 8, 10, 15, 20 years' time, um, to very specifically see new areas we've been able to invest in, new programmes we've been able to launch that get more fans and participants engaged in our amazing sports that ultimately will get more talent in the pipeline and help lead to sustainable success. I love that. That's great. Sophie, we have come to our final question on the podcast, and it's the question we always close with here on the Business Case for Women's Sports. Can you summarize in a couple sentences why you think it's good business to invest in women athletes? I think they're such inspiring role models that can have such a positive impact on the world um, for all sorts of reasons, in addition to be incredibly talented athletes I mean just topical at the moment I was just watching last night the semi-finals of the Euros soccer championship in in the UK and in the interest in that team I haven't seen the ratings but a quarter if not more of the country will have tuned into that the impact that it's had is astounding and I think back you know 20 years so I over here unlike the US I didn't have an option to play soccer growing up didn't even exist um, and look how quickly that's changed. In 20 years, now these women are almost as recognizable as some of the men. I was sitting watching it with a bunch of teenage boys who thought it was so cool. Um, and they just really respected what these women were doing. 
Um, so I think from an inspirational and, and role models perspective, I think that's super powerful. I think for brands, um, we know what consumers are driven by. There's some fantastic work and data around just how much bigger the fandom for women's sports is than we really imagine. But we keep measuring it in traditional ways and that you can't really consume it in traditional ways. So Sports Innovation Lab in particular have done some great work that shows, actually, if you dig a little deeper and peel back the layers, um, the size of fandom for women's sports is very similar to men's. And they're working three times as hard to find it. Um, so I think that bodes very well. This is an avid consumer that gets a lot, not just a female consumer, by the way. Men, like, you know, I just shared an example, um, really support it too. In fact, you know, one of the companies I mentioned, the Women's Sports Network that I'm an advisor for, was founded by two men. God bless them. And I think that's brilliant. Obviously, we want more women to invest and get involved and hopefully be even more um at a senior level and involved in, in making key decisions to invest in women's sports. But I think you know, the trend is clearly only heading in, in one direction. Um, and I think for all those reasons, investing in women's sports and women's uh, female athletes is, is a great business decision. Sophie, I couldn't agree with you more. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, sharing your insights. Uh, and for all you are currently doing and all you've done to advance women's sports. It's really incredible. And, and I'm glad to know you. Thank you. Appreciate the time. Really enjoyed the conversation today, Caroline. Thank you for listening to the Goals Podcast, the business case for women's sports. Leave us a review, check out the show notes, and be sure to follow Goals on Twitter and Instagram for the most up-to-date content on the women's sports industry. And remember, it's simply good business to be in the business of women's sports. 